we find the following statement in the Rambam. And when I saw this, go ahead. Wait, what are we, what are we talking about? What are we we'll find out. <laughs> Spoilers. One of the two. You tell me. We find the following statement. Okay, the Rambam, this is the laws of Teshuva. Teshuva means repentance. And we're in, Maimonides is talking about uh, Jews who could tragically lose their portion of the world to come. Now, if you tell most people today about the portion in some other world to come, then most people say, don't tell me about a world to come. I have enough issues in the world that's at present, at large. <laughs> most people would talk about that. But uh, in Judaism, and especially when we talk about existential Jewish philosophy, this idea of world to come is everything. Thus, your life is successful if it's reflected in you being granted a ticket to Ulam And losing that ticket, especially as a Jew who starts off having a ticket and then losing it, that essentially illuminates or, 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 or teaches us about your entire life that it was a waste of time, a failure. You know? So it's a very, very big deal. So Maimonides, he starts off by saying, famous, famous statement, we know that all Jews in Portugal want to come. However, there are those that lose it. How do you lose it? Who are the people that do it? He gives us a whole list here. It says as follows. Heretics, uh, apostates, uh, heathens, these are various people that have beliefs and ways of life that are antithetical to Judaism. People that join other religions, uh, those that are heretical regarding the divinity of the Torah, the existence of resurrection and Messiah. So three big core beliefs of Judaism. Someone says, hey, I don't believe in the divinity of the Torah. Or I don't believe in the coming of the resurrection of Messiah. Those people essentially are opting out of, of Judaism. Uh, people who cause the public to sin. Which is a bad thing. It's not, you know, you could sin, but sin, sin with, by yourself. You know, sin... You know, you cause the public to sin, you lose your portion of what to come. Uh, those that deviate from the ways of the public, so now this is getting a little bit more lukewarm, so wait a minute, slow down. Those that deviate from the ways of the public, you know, so you can't be a uh, maverick. You can't be, you, you know, you can't, you have to just go along with everyone else. You have to be just conform to everything. You can't, what, what does this mean uh, that if you deviate from the ways of the public? Haporesh midarketzibur. Why is that so bad? Is that, is that one of the laws in the Torah? One of the 630 mitzvahs? Thou shalt not deviate from the ways of the public? <laughs> That's why I didn't wear my tithing. <laughs> well, what, what does that even mean? Like, the this is leaders were people that deviate from the bad things that... Well, what did, Ab- what did Abraham do? Abraham, Abraham emerged in a world that was entirely pagan and he comes with radically new ideas. I'm sorry? Yeah, so what does it mean to deviate from the ways of the public? So let's, let's hold that thought. We're going to go into it. We're going to try to explain this, this problem. But I don't know of any myths in the Torah. I'm not such an expert, but I don't know of any myths in the Torah that says don't deviate from the ways of the public. So what does that mean? Let's hold that thought again. Let's go a little further here. What is the word for public? Tzibur. Like shliach tzibur is the person who leads the prayer service we call shliach tzibur. Or shliach tzibur, if you want to be precise and nitpicky. Uh, okay, so there's people that cause the public to sin and people that deviate from the ways of the public. Okay, those who publicly, brazenly, and defiantly sin. So if someone sins, but sins in a way in front of everyone, biyad ramaz, the words of the Rambam, in front of everyone, with an outstretched arm, brazenly and defiantly, publicly, someone like that, they lose a portion of what to come. Informers, what's an informer? Informer is someone where the government's saying, we're looking for this guy, 
And he says, oh, I know where he is. He's actually hiding in, you know, in the barn. There's a hatch door and he's under there. You know? And then they take the guy out and lynch him. Well, that guy loses a portion of the government. That's a terrible sin to inform. Okay. By the way, informing could even mean informing... Oh, go ahead, sorry. go ahead. There's also another law that says if you're going to die, you defend yourself first. So what if that is the case? What about it? So they're going to shoot you if you don't say anything. Ooh, if you don't inform. Yeah. That's a good question. Because ironically, the Talmud, when the Talmud describes the informer, it describes him as someone who is a pursuer. So the laws of a pursuer essentially say you kill the pursuer though, so, to save the innocent. Uh, thus, essentially you're creating a situation where you have, are you allowed to pursue to prevent the pursuer? Interesting. Good question. I don't know. Good question. I would say probably not. Probably not. Tell your question is to put a gun to your head and say, well, maybe, maybe yes. Good question. If they put it on here and say, tell us where the guy... Now, by the way, the, the Talmud makes it very clear that if someone informs, you could even be informant on like, property. And say, oh, this guy is hiding taxes. And I saw he has tons and tons of gold in his basement. You tell that to the authorities, the authorities come and look at the basement and find no gold. So they start torturing the guy and they may kill him. Thus, the informer is a pursuer trying to kill the guy who he's informing on because they may bring about it. So your question is interesting because... Uh, we know that the three cardinal sins, I'll go through this really quickly so we don't get too far off topic, but the three cardinal sins where you have to give your life up to not, not, to not transgress, one of them is murder. The question is, in this case, where it's an informer, so it's potential for murder, because they may, if you inform the person, they may bring about murder, but it's not absolute murder. So maybe then there's the question of, uh, of, of, that if you have your life and you know for sure you'll save your life, save your skin if you inform, as opposed to if you inform, you don't know for sure that they're going to kill him because maybe they won't. It's an interesting question. I like the question. I would say maybe, I thought maybe at the initial point, maybe not, but maybe, maybe yes. I don't know. Uh, okay, so those informers lose a portion of what they come. Those who impose, yeah, I don't know if they lose a portion of what they come. I don't know, man. <laughs> maybe not. I changed my mind. That's my final answer. Uh, I need more, life, I need more lifelines. Uh, those who impose fear on the public not for the sake of heaven which means people in positions of, positions of leadership that are, are, are very dominant and, and, and impose fear, but they don't do it, they don't do it s- with sincere thoughts. They don't do it to try to you know, increase fear of heaven. They just do it because they want to uh, have a position of, of, of dominance and they want to suppress everyone, but they're not doing it for good purposes. Murderers, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You murder, that's the worst sin you could possibly do. It's irrevocable. There's no way to bring someone to life. Can't do that. Once they're dead, they're dead. Habitual Lashon Haras speakers and those that reverse their circumcision. That's the punchline. And the co- every time I mention this, there's a collective wince. Uh, so um, let's ask a few questions here. So we had a question earlier. What does it mean to deviate from the ways of the public? That's a good question. What does that even mean? Why? What's wrong with that? Number one. Number two, let's go to the end. Reverse the circumcision. Once again, I've scoured the entire Torah, and it mentions a few times that you should have a circumcision, but doesn't, doesn't mention anywhere that there's a prohibition of removing the circumcision. So if it's not even a prohibition, how could it be something that's so severe that makes you lose your portion of what to come? It's very bizarre. Because you're basically declaring, I don't have to do anything with the Jews. Ooh. It's a statement. Ooh. So, it's kind of so you're saying it's, 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 it's more symbolic. Because it does say, you know, this is a sign. This is a 
coming in. This part of the covenant. Our, so you're removing the sign. I don't want to be part of the covenant. I want to be so I, I like that. I want, and I want to bring this also to the idea of, of deviating from the public. There's this um, very strange, wow. at least uh, at first glance, there's this very strange piece of Talmud that we find at the very last page of the book of Yoma. The book of Yoma, sometimes erroneously called Yuma, uh, is a book that talks about uh, the, the, the word yom, what does the word yom mean? And don't answer this, you know the word yom. What does the word yom mean? Day. 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 So there's a book. We have a good teacher. Okay, so, huh? Yom Tov. Well, the, the book of the Talmud is called Yoma, which means day. So the, why would you name a, is there a book called Lila, night? Is there a night book? What is the, what is the, what is the Talmud section that, it's called Yoma? But doesn't the day start when the sun sets? Same, the halachic day starts when yeah, the night before, the eve. Why would they call a book of the Talmud day? It's talking about the day. So talking about which, the, the, which day is it talking about? Mashiach. Day one. Day one? <laughs> Yom Kippur, is it? Booyah. The most auspicious day of the year, and that's Yom Kippur. So it's an entire book dedicated to Yom Kippur, and it's called the day. And it's just, that's self-responsive. It's a Yoma, the Kippur, or something like that. They just call it Yoma, the day. The very last page of the, of the entire, of, of that book, it says something very bizarre. It says that uh, someone who sees a seminal emission on Yom Kippur should worry that they're going to die that year. What's a seminal? Uh, it means that they see an emission from their body that is a uniquely uh, masculine emission. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, uh, that's what it says. Uh, if you see that emission, you're probably going to die that year. But if you don't die then you, you should know that you're a perfectly righteous person. You're a perfect Sadiq. Now, what does that mean? It's very bizarre. Like, you're, you're going to die. If you see a sentinel emotion, you're going to die. But if you don't die, you should know you're a perfect Sadiq. What does that mean? So the, the interpretation of this is, is very simple once you get it. It's a little thing that, it's a little chap, as they say in Yiddish. We know that in Yom Kippur, the, we, the Torah tells us that we don't do a bunch of things that revolve around pleasure. No eating, no drinking, and one of them is no intercourse. Right? It's as if the entire collective of the Jewish people is abstaining from pleasure. And there are a lot of perks that come from being part of the community. And that is that you get judged as part of the community. Each one of us, every human, right, we're all to some degree, more or less, where we have some degree of sin and iniquity in our behavior. And therefore, if we're going to be judged individually and scrutinized as an individual, we're probably going to not pass the test. Thus, if the entire Jewish community is abstaining from sin and we too, from pleasure, and we too, we say we're joining the community, well, okay, you're part of the community. Part of the community, then you get judged as along with the community. And you know the Jewish nation, historically, we have something going for us. You know, we're judged as a nation. And collectively, when you take the sum total of it all, you know, we're a good nation. But if some guy says, you know what, I'm not part of the community. I'm not, everyone's abstaining from sin. I'm, I'm, I'm going to engage in sin, uh, in pleasure. It just swap <laughs> I know. Um, if everyone's abstaining from, from pleasure, right, and I'm saying, I don't care. I'm not abstaining from nothing. Right? So I'm saying, oh, I'm, I want to be on my own. I want to be with everyone else. Oh, you don't want to be with everyone else? Okay, you're on your own. You'll be judged on your own as well. And then, you know what, you'll probably die that year because you'll probably fail the test. But if you didn't die, you should know you're a righteous person. 
Why? Because you're able to withstand the test on your own, despite being judged as an individual. That's this idea. Um, so, uh, like, uh, to follow up with what Ben says, this idea of Olam Haba, we said every Jew starts off their life with it. Why? You didn't earn nothing. Right? A small, uh, weak old child that has a Brit Milah has exactly zero accolades. A grand total of zero. In fact, most, most of the life has just been negative, just been nagging and fetching and being selfish and being bratty, waking their mom up. It's a pretty bad thing to do. Or, or dad, in, in some other people's, other families' cases, not mine. <laughs> so, uh, so, that's, so why would a child have a portion of what to come? You know why? Because they're part of the community. A child at the eight, day, the eight, eight days old, they say that they're part of the Jewish community. We have a blessing that we do by the Brit Milah ceremony that says that this guy is becoming part of the covenant that was established with Abraham. And you, once you're part of the fraternity, you're, you're, part, you're part of the fraternity. Thus, the entire Jewish people, we get lumped into this big public entity that's called the Jewish nation. And therefore, as a member of the Jewish nation, if you're treated as part of the nation, if you're treated as part of the collective... Well, they got a portion of what to come. However, if someone like, like, like Ben says, if you say, I don't want to be part of the Jewish people, either because you deviate from the ways of the public, it means that you say, if the entire Jewish nation does this, I'm doing something else. It doesn't mean that you're creative or you're innovative. Or, it means that you're saying you want to be different. You want to go away from the ways of the public. Okay, then you're opting out of, of being part of the collective. If you want to be an individual, well, then you have to earn it on your own. Similarly, if you want to reject the symbol that that demonstrates this part of this nation, i.e. the circumcision, okay, then you'll be judged on your own. You, you lose your portion of all to come. That starts off as a given as being part of the Jewish nation. But there was one more thing in this statement that seems very troubling. And in fact, the commentaries in the Maimonides, they say, wait a minute, we haven't found any sources for this. And the problem is, Maimonides quoting halacha, it's got to be sourced. He says, people that are habitual Lashonara speakers... They lose their portion of the world to come. Why would they lose their portion in the world to come for speaking gossip? It seems very bizarre. It seems like a very strict and severe punishment for something that's relatively minor and innocuous, I would think. He doesn't say people that, I don't know, do adultery, or people that are deadbeat dads, or people that what we would think as being terrible, like, you know, uh, people that do the worst idolatry. Doesn't I mention idolatry? Well, I guess it does. Same, it's the same punishment that murder. Mur- yeah, it's lumping other so murder and other things, but it seems so fundamental. It's Lashonra, it's, it's evil taught. Is it, is it equated with murder in some way? Because whatever you say could eventually damage somebody too, mm. like ruin their so life. So that's a nice thought, because Maimonides is a little bit later on, in, 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 he writes something very similar to that. Which is also eye-opening, huh? How later on? Uh, I think it's it's um, it is in same chapter. No, it's not the same chapter. It's in it's in Hilchas Deus, and it's in chapter seven three. So, so is there uh, there any any um, definition or, or more information on Alash? Well, we're gonna go through all the details here, but I want to make it. I want to try to impress upon everyone how. Serious, this really is. I, I was familiar with this Ram. I, I knew it because I quoted this Ram. I, I spoke about this in the past. But to me, I just read it. Balei Lashon Rav. Okay, people speak Lashon Rav. You know, you know, it's terrible. But I didn't think about it. Like, wait a minute. Like, you speak something, you know. The words are gone, you know. They're not quantifiable. They're not real. It's kind of this thing that's just out there. Like, reverberates around our eardrums and it's gone. There's no way to recapture it. How is it something so significant, so tangible, so palpable, so 
real that it has such an impact. I think actions are what matter. That's what we always say. Words are cheap. Actions matter. So the examples that are given in the Torah where someone spoke their dad, like Miriam. Yeah. So did she lose her ability to get... So I, may, I, I was very precise when I tried to... I was trying to be precise when I translated. It doesn't say people speak Lashon Hara. It says Ba'alei Lashon Hara, which means I, I translate it as a habitual Lashon Hara speakers. That's a good point. Ramanis is not saying someone speaks Lashon Hara to lose a portion of the come because otherwise we could all check out. <laughs> give up there. right now. Because... <laughs> <laughs> We are disqualified. Uh, almost like everyone. Facebook feed ten times a day. Yeah. Um, so it's it seems. Yeah, I think if this if that was the criteria, we lost it. That's it. So how do you get established as a habitual? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if this quant- It means that that's that, that's what you speak about. It's it's a habit. And I guess you know. what's the difference between I guess lashon versus venting? Well, is venting allowed? <laughs> That's the question. Is, is, is it permissible venting or is Lashon Hara venting? You know, it's the same question. Venting is just a mode of, of expression. It doesn't mean that it's permissible or prohibited. It could be that it's permitted. Well, there may be a case where if someone needs to offload something that may fall under the category of To'eleth, which is constructive Lashon Hara, which may be permitted, provided certain conditions are met. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so... Oh. But if you just vent about your boss to someone, you know, that like, might be Lashon Hara. Like it's a venti, ventful. And if you don't use names... Right, if you don't use same. names, then they'll be fine. Okay. Uh, no, I just... But don't say, well, the guy who I work for, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you his name, wink, wink. <laughs> you know? no, that wouldn't work. Know. But if it's, if it's really unidentifiable, then that would be permissible. It's one of the great loopholes that we have. So I, th- I think the question is still a very, very strong question that, that this... This is elevated to such status, along with the pantheon of terrible things that someone could do to lose everything, be a habitual Shonara. I think it's a very eye-opening question, especially when we, even Shonara, to begin with, it seems very strange. I mean, we were always talking about this is a, a moniker or a model that they say over here that sticks and stones will break my bones. Everyone heard of that? Well, I, yeah, words, okay, words don't mean anything. Well, you know, Unless someone else But do they? Or? I mean, the reason, uh, the reason why I think it's so bad is because you know, you, you, you speak things into existence. And, it, and if you're constantly, uh, you know, just slamming people, I yeah. mean, eventually what you say, guys going to take it serious and, 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 and actually make it come true. Yeah. So you're saying... So, or it will come back around to get you in this life. So you're saying that the, the speech in itself is not that bad, but it's going to engender actions as a result of the speech. Is that right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, but then it's that's what makes the speech. I mean, speech is uniquely bad that it kind of has, and you know, it has repercussions. Yeah. Interesting. Is it, does it? But then it reach also... into like we talked about last week, where you, when when you do mitzvot, you you earn what you're going the, the life that you're going to be living in the world to come. Do words reach into some other realm? Apparently, where there is destruction. Apparently, uh, there are some sources about this, many sources, a few sources in, in Jewish writing that talk about words being not only something that's important in the overall assessment of who you are as a, as a, as a human, but it is the primary uh, importance when anal- analyzing the success and failure of your life. Thus, what happens in the next world is a reflection of what happens in this world, and what happens in this world primarily is that we speak. We'll see, and that's also, once again, problematic. I want to ask another question here. Um, 
it's kind of a subtlety, I think. Um, the, the term Lashon Hara, so everyone here, from, that's the term that's what we're talking about. So the term Lashon Hara, the word Lashon, what does the word Lashon mean? Something names? Uh, ben, don't tell them, don't help them. What does the word Lashon mean? Language, your tongue. It's your tongue. Exactly. The word Lashon means your tongue. Lashon Hara. This is a, it's not the, worst, not the hardest question in the world, but I think it's, it's, an, it's an interesting subtlety. And we say Lashon Hara, which means evil tongue. It doesn't say like, like Dibura, evil speech. It's Lashon Hara, it's like evil tongue. And to me, this is like a, an interesting thing. That why would you use the word? Why would, it's evil? It's your tongue, the flappy little thing. That's what's evil. Well, no. Lashon also means language. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, it's, it's a subtlety. Let, let, yeah, I, I agree. It's not the strongest yeah, which one in the world. First, I don't know because obviously it has to do with each other because you speak with yeah, your tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, some more sources here, as follows. We find again from the Talmud. This is the book of Sota. So does the book talks about uh, what happens in a case of a suspected adultery. Um, and it gives us a following statement. You know, when I'm going to say this statement, you guys tell me what's, what's bizarre, what's interesting about it. Page. 42. Uh, 42a. <laughs> and it says as follows. Four groups do not receive the face of the Shekhinah. And what are these? Arbarkitos, four groups. What are these four groups? Number one, the group of the scoffers, Kathaletsim, the flatterers, the liars, and people that speak Lashonara. Thus, essentially, there's this idea of not being able to have this engagement, this interface with God. It's described in the words of not to see the Pnei Hashchina. And it says that there's four groups that, that they'll lose their sh- chance. The scoffers, you know, the people that make fun of everything, the people that flatter, the people that lie, and the people that are habitual Lashonara speakers. So to me, a few things that obviously we could take away from this for our discussion is that when someone speaks Lashonara, they are essentially creating a division between them and God. Thus, they'll never be able to have this relationship, this facing the Shekhinah or seeing the Shekhinah, or uh, it means to, to receive the face of the Shekhinah, whatever that means. I don't know exactly how to define it. But it means having some sort of uh, 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 interaction with God. That they cannot have. So to be like, whoa, like, how serious is the decision to speak Lashon Arad? Because what does that do to you? It makes you not be able to have an interaction with God. Well, four of those groups had to do with speaking. Booyah. Another it thing. Murderers or adulterers. It was, it and these was an four groups, none of them are actions. They're all related to speech. Which to me, to me that was also eye-opening. Did you read it? Yeah, I didn't write it here. <laughs> I thought you read no, my notes. That angle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I put one of those little things at the bank that you can't see. Polarizing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting, why are there groups? Why not four individuals? Did you think of that? Either way, they, they I think uh-huh. to get together. Yeah, maybe it's a it's a it's a societal, <laughs> it's a communal kind of sin. Uh, either way, I think that this well, too. It takes two. You have to speak and you have to talk to someone. Well, maybe it's because the Shekhinah only interacts with a group. Ooh, very interesting. How do you know that? It's a group. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a famous Gemara that says. That, the, that I believe that the Shekhinah is not Shorah on less than 22,000 Jews. Wait, but say that again? 
that there's no Shechina, there cannot be the Shechina presence unless there's, unless there's 22,000 Jews. Which, as the Gemara says, it's, it's, it's Alfei Revavo. So thousands and tens of thousands. What's the minimum of thousands and tens of thousands? Two thousand. Two thousand and two tens of thousands. That's right. So maybe that there is this idea of, of the Shekhinah only, only... Very interesting. You guys are so good. And this is the last source here before we get digging a little deeper here. And I think that if anyone had any doubts, uh, as I did, about the seriousness of Lashon Ra, I think will be vanquished by this up-following uh, statement. This is from the Rambam in, Halachot, in Hilchot Deot. Deot means... Uh, Midos, basically, character. Actually, literally, it means knowledge or knowledges, which it doesn't doesn't work in English. Or, or uh, your conceptualizations, uh, which is interesting that Maimonides, he the word that he uses for character involves cognitive uh, functions, which is interesting. Either way, this is what he says as follows, and he talks about that we know most sins. You know, or, or even, even good deeds. We know that reward and punishment is not in this world. He says that there's, there's, four, there's three exceptions. And he says that there's retribution extracted in this world for three sins. And on top of that, the sins, sinners lose a portion of what to come. And what are they? Avodah, zara, idolatry, illicit sexuality, and shrikhatamim, murder. And he says as follows. V'lashonara is equal to all three of them. So essentially, if you, if you had to ask, what's a sin that's so severe that it equals on the scale to Lashonara, uh, to, to, to Avodazra, idolatry, uh, uh, adultery, and murder, what's equal to all three of them? Lashonara. What? Lashonara? Speaking bad about someone else, saying, hey, dude, you know, you know what that guy did and what he said, what happened to him? Yeah, I can't agree. To me, like, whoa, where did that it come from? destroy your life if it gets to the right Yeah, but murder person. will certainly destroy someone's life, well, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, but if someone comes to me and says, well, I can either shoot you or I can talk bad about you. I'll be like, hey, say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he gives a little punctuation mark on that and says as follows, that Lashon uh, Ra kills three people, the speaker, the listener, and the subject. And the listener is worse than the speaker. So we kind of view the guy who listens as he's just being the, you know, the sounding board. Uh, for the person who's really the sinner, that's the speaker. But he says, no, that the sinner is worse, that the, the listener, the person who's accepting what the person is, what, what the Lashon Ra speaker is telling him, that guy's the worst. So I think, like we said, this, I think, for sure should reframe our discussion that we're going to have today. And the overall question is, why is it so important? Like, why is Lashon Ra, the evil speech that we do, why is that so significant, so crucial, so fundamental, and so vital to our life that it's so great, it's so grand, it's, it's so uh, uh, descriptive of our lives, it's such, you know, definitive of our lives? You know, what, why? It's words, and yes, they're very to be painful. Potentially they could go and, and you know, there could be the butterfly effect. They could cause bad things to happen. But most times they're f- pretty much harmless. What's so bad about it? And why is it so severe that it's, it's equal to these three sins? What about within a marriage? Could you gossip so to your wife, wife? Your wife comes home, you'll never know what Sally did, and starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how was your day? Well, this is what happened. Is that, uh, what do you do? Is that. Wait, wait, there's two questions here. What do you do, or is that Lashon Arat? The question. <laughs> You want to know if the laws of Lashon Ra are waived with regards to spousal uh, conversations? Do you know Sally? Like, do I look at my wife and go, shut up? Because I 
because I'm listening and that's yeah, it. Yeah, because that's what I want to hear it. Uh, so there's two questions. You, you have to say which one you want. The laws of Shonara are not waived with regards to your spouse. Absolutely not. Um, ha- now, I want to I stress, we're going to be talking about some cases where there are exceptions. Uh, it's possible that if your wife is in a such, your wife or your spouse, or right, not to be you specifically, uh, then if, if someone's on... Yeah, a friend of mine. He's not talking about his wife. Ask you for a friend. <laughs> Uh, there are situations where these things, for a constructive purpose, you're allowed to speak negatively about someone else, provided that certain, certain, um, certain conditions are met. Like a therapist. Like, like a therapist. You're trying to prevent a danger, right? If, so, you know, if someone did something bad, you're trying to prevent someone else from getting hurt, provided that it's first-hand information, and provided that, you're not, that you spoke to the guy originally, provided there are a few conditions. We can also ridicule idolaters. Yes, and there are people as well that you last people on a rob about. So I was like, oh, what about Hitler? Can we say Hitler's a bad guy? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and in fact, if someone. Uh, so that, so, so we'll, we'll get to the details of these laws. But I want to I also um, talk about the flip side. So we see how bad Lashonara is. Well, what about someone who says, I'm not going to speak Lashonara? What about that? Someone who says, what? Someone who does not speak Lashonara, what's called Shomer Lashonara, someone who guards his mouth and his tongue. What does Judaism say about those people? They never talk. <laughs> <laughs> they got nothing to say at the cocktail parties, right? As follows two famous verses Shomer Pivulushano. Shomer Mitzvah Tafshah. Oh, yeah, see, this is great. A very famous verse in the book of Proverbs, which says, if someone guards, Shomer, to guard his mouth and his tongue, scars himself from all bad things. All bad things that happen to him. That sounds pretty good. We'll take that. And then another, even a, even a more famous verse in, in the book of Psalms, we say it every, uh, every Shabbat morning. Uh, I'll stop there. Has anyone heard those words together? Chafetz Chaim? Anybody? Chafetz Chaim? There you go. Chafetz Chaim. It's the Yeshivish. Right? Chaim is life. Uh, so this is a verse in, in the book of Psalms, in Tehillim. And it's, it was, it's a fa- the word Chafetz Chaim, that was the name of the book. The premier book written on, Lash- on the Lord's Lashon Arau is called Chafetz Chaim. Or Chafetz Chaim. So, who is the man who seeks out life? Ohev Yamim, who loves days, Liros Tov, right? Once you see real, amazing days of good, who's that man that, the, that who, 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 who wants it? Well, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want life and want to have long days of seeing good? Well, what do you do? Well, what's the secret? What's the potion? What do I take? So, Nitzor Lishonchamera, guard your tongue from, from bad, Usfatecha, your lips, Midaber Mirma, from speaking deceit. Simple, simple formula. What do you got to do? You want to have a great life? You got to guard your mouth, you know, mouth and, your, and your lips from speaking bad. That's essentially what it's saying is that conversely, not only can our speech be our undoing, but conversely, our guarding of our speech, well, that's the best thing that we could possibly do. Like, you ask me, who, what do you want? You want life? You want everything? What would the answer be? I thought maybe it would be Torah, pray really long. As long as it says, it says, don't speak the Shana Guard your mouth. And by the way, when it says guard, it means that you have to actually put a guard. 
you, it should have said, well, don't speak Lashon Hara. It says you've got to guard it because there's, there's a temptation to open it, you know? Is that why people do? Huh? Oh, sometimes when people want to say something but don't want to say something. They have to sit their finger in the mouth like do, that. They do this. Like this? Yeah, uh, they cover their face. Essentially, the Talmud points mouth. out is that is that we know that our eyelids, ha- our eyes have little lids that little that cover up these little uh, like windshield wipers that we have in our eyes, uh, and our mouth also has guards. It says it says the mouth. It's so important to guard the mouth that the Almighty gave us two guards, in the form of our lips and our teeth, because it's so important, it's so imperative to guard your mouth from speaking bad that we had two we had two guards. And by the way. This is a cool factoid. <clears throat> Settle down here. <laughs> so, oh, oh, here we go. You take this outside. <laughs> <laughs> so we find as follows. We find in the in the Talmud. This is in the book of Ksubis or Ktubot. I don't want to say it would be one of those finicky people. So the book of Ksubis it says. It tells us the function of a certain organ that we have. And it's weird because the Talmud is not really a book of um, uh, anatomy. It's not essentially <laughs> telling us the book of like, like why, you know, why do we have a spleen or why do we have a liver. It doesn't do that, really. Again, it takes one organ and tells us, oh, this is the reason why we have this organ. And which organ is that? It is the earlobes. I don't know what qualifies an organ, whatever, part of our body. And it says the reason why the Almighty gave us earlobes is to cover our ears like this when someone's speaking Lashonara, be they, uh, uh, be they uh, a spouse or otherwise, uh, we take our little earlobes and cover our ears like that, and then you don't hear. Because, by the way, it creates like this hermetically stiff, because you have these guys, I don't know what they're called, should have read up on this beforehand. You got these guys, and then you have these guys. And then you really can't hear anything. That's why we have earlobes. And what's interesting, I found an article here. An article by, um, you know, there used to be this theory since debunked that uh, because allegedly humans are evolved from less sophisticated species, thus we have something called vestigial organs. You're familiar with that term? Like a vestige, leftovers? You know? So the, the idea was proposed many, many years ago. Darwin actually proposed it, that um, when you find in certain species, you find organs that have no function, well, that's because it's leftovers, it's vestiges of a previous self, wherein it needed that, but then it just kind of it evolved into something new, but it didn't shed that yet, because you know, it still, still has it. So humans were thought to have had a lot of different organs that were useless. Like, for example, the pituitary gland uh, was once thought to be vestigial. And famously, everyone still thinks, a lot of people still think, but you know, there, there's this thought out there that the appendix is vestigial, when it actually isn't. And in fact, um, the reason why we have the appendix is a storage house for, uh, for bacteria. Thus, the lining of our, of our gut, which is a really important thing to have it lined, uh, if someone were to have a, you know, a bad fit of diarrhea mixed with vomiting, they may lose their bacterial lining, and that's a very dangerous thing. Thus, there's a little, they might create a little storage pocket of bacteria to reline the, 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 uh, the intestines should you need that. Now, the problem, what's our problem? What's our problem? There's a whole pocket of bacteria in here. 
Well, no. Well, it's a good thing I'm here. The problem is, is that we live in a society, thankfully, where we have so much access to cleanliness, we have so much clean water, and we have access to clean food, and we have, we're, we're so health conscious that this little organ of ours does, gets underutilized, and that's why it has a tendency to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, to get infected and appendicitis. But it. But in sub-Saharan Africa, where there's no, you know, that's where no one there dies of appendicitis, or no one has appendicitis. That's, well, that's not my words. This is from a uh, Duke University, 2007 study. They made a whole study on vestigial organs, and that was one of them that everyone thought was vestigial. Uh, when, and then the punchline, this is what I wanted to get to. The punchline is that it goes through seven different vestigial organs, and the last thing that it says, however... No one knows why we have earlobes. That was the punchline. And to me, that was beautiful. And that is that the Talmud, 2,000 years earlier, said, you know what? Let me tell you the reason why we have this organ. <laughs> you know why? Because eventually, you'll come around to realize you want to have everything else. You you'll figure it out. Huh? School of medicine and uh, let them know. Well, it's interesting, right? Research <laughs> <laughs> or not one that studied the uh, Talmud recently. Um, and, and, and the Talmud like, sent us like, this message that's like, relevant now, really. And it's like, eventually you'll understand why you have every organ. Because the Almighty designed us perfectly, and we have every organ, everything has a function. However, one organ has, a, has only a, a spiritual function, that's it. And that's why the Talmud says, you know what, I'll tell you why you have that, because you won't be able to find the reason why you have that. Because there is no other reason, reason besides for the fact that this is a tool to use against hearing the Shabbat. Basically, doing these huge holes that some people do in their ears, it's completely prohibited because you can hear it. <laughs> 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 what about the earrings, too? Then you can't use it. Why not? I don't, I don't have any earrings, but... Uh, <laughs> no, have you seen this? Like the in the end. That's a word for us. I think even if you have earrings, why can't you do it? I, I, I know, I've seen those people. I, a lot of people do a lot of things. Some of the, like, you can throw a football through one of some of them. I have no idea why people do that. Um, I don't know. Is it a, does anyone here think that it's attractive? I don't. No, but I, I, what I'm saying is think it's more, function. Well, it's not, it's, not, it's not a law in the Torah. It's kind of like, I'm sure those people have other issues uh, where they come, in, they come in conflict with the Torah. I don't think the Torah says anything with regards to, you know, the size of the holes that you want to do for earrings. I don't know to her point that it won't block it out anymore if there's a big hole in it. You can't close it off. It, yeah, maybe they could get. Plugs. Yeah, but it's more, it's more of like the idea. You know what? I, I don't know if I don't know if you actually have to do like this and like that to not hear the shonara. I think it's a kind of constant reminder, like dangling near your ear, the fact that this is what it's supposed to be used for. It works, right? It's pretty tight there. <laughs> um, but I don't think that would be prohibited necessarily. I think it's still probably an act of, uh, uh, you know, a deviant act, I would say. Um, but I don't think it's prohibited per se. Now, I see people who don't have any earlobes. No, they have earlobes. It's just that they're not attached. They're not, they're not uh, free, freestanding. Yeah, they're not floppy. But I think they're still foldable from my understanding. They're still cartilage. They're still, yeah. They're still spiritual. <laughs> Uh, either way, I think that that is, uh, to me, that's very, very interesting. The fact that the Talmud is telling us the reasons why we have certain, because even the eyelids, you know, the eyelids, maybe you could say the eyelids are there to guard our 
you know, our eyes from not seeing things that we shouldn't see, but okay, we all know that it has other functions as well. Well, well, yeah, well, not really. Like I said, it does say that the teeth are there, but obviously, we know the teeth are there for other things as well. Um, I have to look up the, exactly the at the at the exact wording see if this is the only one that's described. You know why we have this, but either way, I think it's very interesting that the one thing that uh, the scientific community has not been able to isolate a reason for is the thing that we're told in the Talmud that it has a spiritual function, which is I think very interesting. Either way, let's go back to the topic at hand, Lashon Ra. So we clearly see the importance of refraining from speaking and from hearing Lashon Ra. The question is why. And I think it really lies in a, in a crucial mistake that we make. You know, our thoughts, like we said, our thoughts are that, or our perception of our words are that they're not really so important. You know, we always say, you know, don't be a big talker, but let's see what you do. Yeah, that's, that, that's the attitude that we have. And we find in the Torah as well, you know. Speak little and do a lot. So obviously speech isn't important, or, or is it? But I think that there's a, uh, a gap between how impactful our words are versus how we perceive them to be. Um, I'll give you an example. We read last week in the Parsha about the laws of Nidarim. Uh, neder is a vow or an oath or a pledge or a promise. Well, that, that's an example of someone who says, I'm going to become a neder of a nazir, right? Oh, right, that's a nazir. It's, nazir is a f- kind of a neder. A neder means a, 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 a vow to refrain from doing something. So, for example, if I say, I could say, uh, I'm not going to drink beer for 30 days. It's a very classic example of a neder. Now, what this does is, this creates a 614th mitzvah in the Torah, temporarily, a temporary mitzvah. For the next 30 days, if I were to drink beer, they would take me to Jewish court and give me caning. They'd punish me. Why they punish me? You drink beer. Well, what's wrong with drinking beer? It's not, it's not a Muslim country, right? We allowed to drink beer. <laughs> right? You're allowed to drink beer. What's the problem? It's not Pesach that it's, that it's Hamid or something like that. Well, why can't you prepare? Well, you have a new mitzvah. Well, who created this new mitzvah? Where is the Torah? Well, the Torah is essentially saying that via the power of our speech, we're able to create new mitzvahs. Well, who, who, who creates mitzvahs? God gives us mitzvahs. Well, essentially what it's telling us, via our power of speech, we're able to do something that is otherwise godly. Now, that's, I think, mind-blowing, the power, the potential of, of our speech. Another example. Well, but it's, it's, I mean, it is forbidden to have more than what the Torah prohibits. Not necessarily. I think it's, 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 it's uh, frowned upon because the laws of Nidarim are so serious. Um, it's, it, it's very serious, the laws of Nidarim, but it, so it's frowned upon, but it's not prohibited per se. If you ever hear people say, uh, I'm going to do something in Blin Eder. Have you heard that term? Yeah. Blin Eder. Blina means without a neder, without a neder, without a vow. People are terrified of making this pledge of doing something because they don't want to create a neder and that will make a binding. Now, with that same parsha you're talking about, um, that uh, vow can be overridden. True. So, I was just wondering, you know, because you're talking about words of Papa. Yes, okay, now that you brought it up, I'll tell you what the Ramban says. Who is the Ramban? Ben, tell us, who, tell us a little bit about the Ramban. With a nun. <laughs> uh, he did, uh, 100 years after Maimonides under 
person who owned Barcelona. Um, and he debates him a lot. Well, Ramban wrote an entire commentary on all of Torah, an entire commentary of all of, of all of Talmud, and many other pivotal pivotal Sfarim from the Rishon era. One of the one of the greatest of the of the rabbis of the medieval time. Well, he's very famous in, in secular because of the uh, the argument that he had with the apostatized Jews, a Jew um, in Barcelona, where the guy said the king said, oh, "I'll give you immunity. You can say whatever you want." And he vanquishes the other guy in the in the debate, and they give him three hundred gold pieces, and they say, oh, "Well, actually, no." And the mobs come after me to move to Israel. Like ah, uh, you'll have you have immunity. Say whatever you want until you say whatever you want, and you vanquish the opponents, and then oh, maybe you should leave right now. <laughs> uh, so the Ramban he says, if you what's the first first verse of this last week's parsha is that the Almighty that, that Moses speaks to the leaders of the tribes, right? And ask the Ramban, why would Moses speak to the leaders of the tribes? Typically, Moses speaks to the Jewish people. Moses teaches them Torah. How does he teach them Torah? Moses speaks to the Jewish people and starts to give an announcement, teach them Torah. Why is he here speaking to the leaders? So Ramban tells us that because in this parsha it contains ways to get out of a vow. And then if you taught it to the whole populace, everyone will say, well, a vow is no big deal. I'll just I'll get out of it. Thus, Moses told it only to the leaders. They have to know it. The rest of the people, it's okay if they don't know it because we want them to realize the seriousness of a vow. And, and obviously, and there's, there's a gap. We don't think it's so serious. And especially if we were to not think it's so serious and we would know that there's an out, people would give vows left, right, and center. But a vow is indeed very serious, thus the way to get out of it is only communicated to the leaders who have the, appreci- you know, they have the appreciation of how serious it really is. So that's your point. Yes, there is, there is an out, but look at the first sentence. That out is not given to everyone. So there are ways to get out of an out, a vow. But either way, the point is, is that we're, we're demonstrating that via words alone, no contracts, no handshakes, nothing. Words alone can create new mitzvahs for ourselves. Thought number one. Thought number two. If someone says, Arezu olo, you see a little animal walking around, you say, oh, my animal, I like it. Really, it's really nice, really handsome, really pretty. Beautiful animal, right? Wonderful. And you say, Arezu olo, behold, this is an ola. You essentially consecrated this animal. An ola. An ola is a, is a sacrifice. You, with your words alone, can take an animal that's a regular animal that you could use. You say something, you don't hand it off, you don't touch it, nothing. You say something, now you cannot use this animal. It belongs to the coffers of the temple. It's not even applicable. I don't even understand what you're talking My about. My point is like this. My point is that like, with words, are, words are transformative. Um, I'll give you another example. Maybe this will be more applicable, right? Friday night, in the Fetterman home, you pour yourself a glass of wine, you say 54 words, and what happens? Right. Well, Shabbat happens whether you like it or not. But, <laughs> but before well, yeah. What what you, what you do is you you first of all you create you just took this grape juice or wine and you made it into a mitzvah. But also you did something. You stood testimony uh, to the reality of God existing, and you did kiddush. You sanctified Shabbat. That's what you did. How do you do that? Magic. Magic. How do you do that? With words. Any blessing that we do can change reality. We don't realize this because we don't think of it any different. We looked at the grape juice or the wine, and it was wine before, it's still wine now. 
we don't realize is that we essentially did something dramatic to change the status of the wine and the status of even of the Shabbat experience. We did a real mitzvah. I think in other examples as well, you know, how do you get married in Judaism? What's the process? No, no, that's not how you get married. Ketubah does not make, make the marriage. Ring exchange? Ring exchange. Huh? I, I don't remember the words. Booya. Yeah. So you yeah. do. There's, there's two things. You, 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 know, you give the ring and you say these words. If you don't say these words, mm-hmm. you ain't married. You do say these words, mm-hmm. you are married. A marriage, this, 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 this binding of a husband and wife, how does it happen with, with, word, with words? Mm-hmm. These examples kind of show us how how how. how you know, transformative words are, and even there's another job, I think this is, uh, uh, arguably, we could say that our entire purpose in life can only be fulfilled via our power to speak. And we talk about tikkun olam. Well, what's tikkun olam? We have an entire class about it here a few weeks ago, I believe by your house, Ben. Uh, and the idea where we're, we're going to change the world. Well, how do you change the world? Look, by bringing God into the world. How do you bring God into the world? Right? By communicating that idea. Thus, essentially, the, the power, the force that we use to change the world as a species, as part of a Jewish nation, is our speech. That is what defines us as a nation. So, I think, number one, we have to get rid of this uh, idea that, that words are not really so important. They're very important. They're creative. They're transformative. But they're essential for us as a nation. Now, I want to say even more. And to me, this was the point, the takeaway point of my analysis, of my, of my, of my research. To me, like this, this is where it hit home. Speech. So someone says something. So you hear it. Right? And it's somewhat perceptible using physical, physical, oh, there you go, that's, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Checkmate. What about? It's not checkmate. It's, it's, it's the same. The same point. Oh, I thought that was your next. Oh no, I skipped that. Yeah, he he brought the mission that says Basarama Marot that the Almighty created the world with ten utterances. And he or God said, "Let there be light," and there's light. So even from God's perspective, you know, the idea of speech being linked to. Uh, uh, to to creation is there. Good point. So speech is is physical, right? Am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. He knows me already, Tom. He's like, whenever I say I'm right three times, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> well, it, it is right. It's undeniable. Like you use your mouth and you use your guttural and you use right. And you, you you create sounds that we interpret when we hear them via the vibrations of these micro little hairs on our eardrums. By the way, it's incredible. incredible. We like learn about the human ear, how it works. We have these on this on this this perceptor, this receptor in our ear, these tiny microscopic little hairs that vibrate. It's amazing. We're able to translate trans. First of all, we're able to create these sounds that are that are thoughts that we translate into sounds, and we know how to do it all magically. And we're able, you're able to hear that, and you're able, to, you're able to just do this process of converting it back to thoughts, which is incredible, remarkable. And that's why, by the way, when you take a gun and you shoot it near your ear, 
uh, it's always advisable to put on those earmuffs because those that kills those little little hairs and then you, you're deaf. Which is whatever <laughs> like this, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it, on one hand, it kind of is a physical thing. On the other hand, <laughs> on one hand, so it is physical. On the other hand, it's really not. It's kind of also spiritual. It's like we cannot quantify it. It's not. It's not empirical. It's not. You know, it's not something that's tangible. We can't see it. It, it shares characteristics of both worlds. Now, what else do we know that's half physical and half spiritual? Like soul. <laughs> okay, but even more fundamental method. But even more fundamental. Come on, guys. Spiritual and half what? What else do we know that's half spiritual and half physical? In, in this we are. We are. Booyah! Humans are the same. We're the same thing. I mean, this was the insight. Speech is the crossroads of physical and spiritual. Man is the crossroads of physical and spiritual. To me, this was the idea. Our speech is the point at which our physical and our spiritual halves meet. This is the touch point, right? If you have spiritual, you're physical, you meet at the speech. That is uniquely human because that's what, that's what it is. It's, where uniquely, it's a uniquely human phenomenon because it's a uniquely human reality, the idea of verbal speech. Because it's not just something which is important and it's creative and it's something that we're going to use for good things. And it's, it is our essence, Thus, I answer a few questions here that I'm sure are bothering everyone. When the Almighty created man, so we have a little body, and the Almighty infused in him a soul. What does it say at the end? Adam chaya. And man became a living being. Is that a fair translation, Ben? On the first creation or on the second creation? When it says, Adam chaya, whenever that is. Man became a living being. You have, this, you have this marriage of the body and soul, and now you have a human. Sounds good? We're all happy to be humans. Now, the Unculus, Unculus was the first sanctions translation of the Torah. Uh, he, he writes, the way he describes it is, the, the, I don't know if that works, but he says, he says, the man became a ruach memalala, which means a speaking being. The mala means to speak. In Aramaic. So it was always bizarre. Like, this is the formation of man. And man became a living being. You have marriage of body and soul. And how does he translate a speaking being? How is that possible? How is that translation? We speak, of course, but we walk and we see and we're other things. Like, why is, why is it that? Now it makes a lot of sense. Right? Human, the human, human aspect. What makes us human? Not our body, not our soul. It's not, it's not, right? Animals have bodies and angels are spiritual, entirely spiritual. You say very similar to a soul. We're not either one of them. We are the blend of the two or the intersection of the two where those two meet. That is what a human is. We, we have a body, we have a soul, but what are, what, what are we? Well, we're the mix of the two. Well, what's that? We, where does those two get together? Where, where's the touch point of those two? In our speech. That's the best way to define who we are is by our speech. 
Thus, if you want to translate it as a man became a living being, you would translate a man became speaking. Well, because that is the idea of mixing, by, of, of, of fusing uh, soul and body. I'll give you another example here. If you remember, I might have mentioned this before, there's this uh, piece of Talmud, very intriguing piece of Talmud, that talks about a child in utero knowing the entire Torah. You guys remember we mentioned this here? Child in utero knows the entire Torah, and then as the child's about to be born, an angel comes and hits him. Where did he hit him? On his mouth? He forgets the entire Torah. So now what this means, I won't go through it all again, but what it means is that a child in utero has a soul. And the influence of the soul is what they have. And therefore they know the entire Torah. As they're about to be born, they have the influence of the body. Thus, they forget the entire Torah. So that's what Talmud means. But where does he hit him? It's in his mouth. It doesn't mean it's on his hiney or in his back or in his arm or in his shoulder. Why? Because this is the intersection of body and soul. This is where the, those two meet. This is the conduit in which the human comes forth. Thus, if the child becomes a human, well, they're going to become, that's, that's their speech. Just like a human, just like Adam. That, that's what we are. So to me, this is the transformational uh, th- thought of this whole discussion. And that is, our speech is not only something very important, it is definitive right, of, of who we are. We are collectively humans, means we are capable of speech. Thus, what happens if someone corrupts their speech? If you are corrupted in your speech, then you're corrupted in, entirely. Can't we say that? Isn't that fair? If you are your speech, and your speech is corrupted, well, then you're corrupted. Is it such a stretch to say if someone is a habitual Lashon speaker, well, they're always speaking bad, they have clearly corrupted their speech power, and thus, what about them? Well, what, how do we, we look back at their lives, are they successes or failures? Well, which are they? Is it such a stretch to say that they lose a portion of the world to come? I don't think so. I think now it makes a lot of sense. If you are your speech and your speech is entirely corrupted, you're a habitual Shonarat speaker, oh, okay, then it makes a lot of sense to say that you failed as a human. It's not such a stretch. I don't, I don't think it's a stretch anymore. When we see Shonarat as being up there on the pantheon of the great sin, I think it makes a lot of sense now. Shonara means... You are corrupt in your speech. Now, I want to go back to a point that Ben brought up here. Um, our problem is, is that in our mind, in our consciousness, in our perception of speech, it's not so bad. It's speech, you say it, okay, no one got hurt. Yet in reality, it's very different. So, Ben, you said that, uh, you brought up the fact that Miriam, she spoke with Shonara. What happened to Miriam? Remember the uh, epilogue of the story? Uh, God made her arm. That's right. And who else did it happen to? Let's test your Bible knowledge. Uh, it happened to Moses. Booyah. Mo- Moses, ha- Moses was his arm. Was his hand. Miriam was all over. Yeah, I don't think Miriam, it says that it was his head. Now, what, what's the deal with this leper? What is leprosy? Sort of skin ailment, right? Physical flesh. Now, what's interesting is that we translate as leprosy because we, that's the most similar thing. In fact, it was this hybrid spiritual physical kind of thing. It's not really leprosy. It's called saras. In the accurate translation of it, it's saras because that's what it is. 
It's not leprosy. Yeah, because they could have that saras on the wall. Yeah, on the wall. On the wall, your clothes, clothing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so it wasn't exactly. And I, I think, I want to venture an idea here. I think that when we're told this, right, we're told that someone gets saras. And I'm sure, and in, in, we know that in, back in the day it actually happened. Um, it's giving us like a, a physical representation of a sin in a way that's very, very quantifiable, very real for us. I think what it's doing to us, I think it's helping us make it more real. You know, it's helping us, it's a tool that we can use you know, to move along in the path of understanding the severity and the gravity of our speech. When you think about something that happens to your skin or your house or your clothing, like that's very real. You know, if all your clothing started getting splotches and those beautiful, beautifully painted walls suddenly get splotches, I'm not wishing you. Know, I'm saying just theoretically. You know, we're in your house. Sorry if it was in anyone else's house. Well, if it happens, then I know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, that's a big deal. Like that's real. That's you cannot. You say, oh, it's no big deal. It's not real. It's not. You know. You, you know. I, I think that that's maybe an idea uh, to try to bridge the gap between the. Um, theoretical, so to speak, in our minds uh, um, with, the, uh, with the reality that we perceive, um, you know, kind of bring our reality closer to the, uh, to the spiritual reality. Well, that's what, like with any sin, any sin, regardless of, of what nature, there's the possibility of teshuvah, right, of yeah, repentance. Teshuvah, exactly. Yeah, of course. So you can reverse that too. Well, you, you want, of course no, you, well, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about how to, it's interesting, how do you repent for Shonara? Who do you approach? Is it between man and God? It's between man and man. That's an interesting question. But of course, of course, it's a possibility for teshuvah. In fact, Maimonides brings this in the laws of teshuvah. Um, there are only some things that are, according to the Talmud, irrevocable, that you cannot possibly undo. Like if someone murders someone, yeah, you could do tshuva, but your tshuva, your tshuva will never be complete because the guy will still be dead. So, uh, tshuva for Lashonara? Potentially. Now, if you speak Lashonara about an entire community, then it might be a big problem because then you're not speaking about an individual, you're speaking about multiple people, and should you need to individually uh, request uh, uh, forgiveness from every one of those people, you don't even know who you offended, right? Or who you spoke negatively about. Huh? The feather? The feather? The story of the pillow woman. Oh, that you... Uh... <laughs> the rabbi just said, told them to put the feather in all the places in the pillow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And go find go collect it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that if you shake out the, uh, the pillow and you have all the feathers... Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, law, the laws of the Shonara. The laws of the Shonara are somewhat, um, com- uh, not com- they're not complex, but they're exhaustive, like the details are very exhaustive. I would highly encourage someone, if you're interested really, and especially uh, to benefit uh, Elazar ben Khan, it's much more beneficial for us if we really want to help um, him in to have a refuah shalomah, to not just study about it, but actually to integrate it into our behavior. It's nice to learn about something and to go back to our house and blabber, 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 right? On the way home on the phone, right? Uh, and that's what, you know, unfortunately, that's what happens most of the time. You hear something, you get inspired, 
you say, okay, well, it's great, let's, let's, let's do this, and then you forget about it as you, on the threshold, you know, of the, uh, of, of, of the house, it's gone, and, you know, you might remember a little bit later on, especially if it has some nice imagery of shaking out a, a pillow with full of feathers, you know, that you'll remember it, but will it really change you? You know, I think that's, that's in, there's a huge question mark there, and I'm, I'm not talking to you guys, not to me, I'm, I'm, this not the first time I'm going through this material, I don't, I don't you know, how could you potentially, if you really wanted to improve in this area, you got to do a continual, ongoing analysis of what's shown around that will creep into your behavior. Uh, there's a book that I want to recommend. Everyone get, get their hands on it. It's a wonderful book, and it makes it super easy to learn about what's shown around. And uh, it's called A Lesson A Day, A Lesson a Day. Uh, and it's, uh, it's put together by Art Stroll. And essentially, it combines the two books, the two fundamental books written about the Lord's Lashon One of them is kind of the, what we did till now, kind of the reason behind it and the inspiration and the understanding and examples, you know. And the, and the other half is the laws. So what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say, when you're not allowed to say, what, you know, etc. So when you, when you buy through Amazon, start with smile.amazon.com and choose uh, yeah. some ciphers so that they don't even ask. Great. Yeah. <laughs> There's a way also, so you Diego. Start with yeah. You start with smile. There's uh, Diego. Let me help you make this easier for you. There's a plugin that everyone can install on the computer. That anytime they go to Amazon, it automatically goes to smile. That Amazon with supporting. So there's a way. There's a way to do it seamlessly. Yeah, and then you have to choose which. No, but you don't have to choose it if you just have this yeah. plugin. It just goes straight. Well, you after the first, first time just I did it. the first time you have to choose. Yeah, after the, the first time I did it, um, when I buy something on Amazon, it automatically more. asks me, do you want to put it on? Right, it won't even ask you. I say, no. say there's a way to do it. <laughs> so, yes. What if your, let's say you, by yourself and you're talking to God and you're praying and can you vent that way? That's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Be like that so and so Fred did this and I want to Yeah, it's good because the money already knows by the way. Um <laughs> yeah. He knows where you're wrong. Yeah but that that that's that's a good way to vent. I mean, Just make sure <laughs> So, uh, so there's a. Um, let, I want to just simplify the laws of around the basic laws. There's more details, obviously. I encourage everyone to get their hands on the book. It's a wonderful book. I read it a few times myself. Um, you, it's, it, it's 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 literally it's less it's less than three minutes a day. It's it's wonderful. Um, so like this, let's try to break down into two different categories: speaking derogatory information about someone, person A, to person B, provided that the information is true. So if it's not true, it's something else, right? If you make up libels about someone else, that, that's not called Hashanah, it's called Mansi Shemra. It's a different classification. Uh, but any sort of derogatory information that is either objectifiably derogatory or it is subjectively derogatory based upon the preferences and opinions of the speaker and or listener. So thus, if you think it's bad, even though the listener doesn't think it's bad, it's Hashanah, if you think it's, it's okay and the listener thinks it's bad, it's Lashon Ara. If you both think it's okay, but it is objectively bad, 
it's lashon hara. Right. If it's you know if it's and, and if it's ambiguous, it may be interpreted as lashon hara. So you could say someone, hey, this is a well-meaning fellow. You know that's ambiguous. It could mean he's well-meaning, this really nice character, or he's well-meaning but not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know that's something. It's ambiguous. It can mean one of the two. That you might be tiptoeing lashon hara. You don't know that, that it's very close because that could be you know the interpretation could be negative. Thus, you know, in any in any facet of someone's life, if you say something that's derogatory about them, or can be interpreted as derogatory, that's true. It will show around. So, how do you like HR kind of stuff? Yes, you work there. Oh, so what's what's the question? If if someone oh, if someone asked me, does someone how is this person? What do you know about him? You know, yes. All I can say is yes, you work here. That's a very question, because remember, this is, and, and the second half, let me jump to the second half, I'll give us your question in a second, um, which makes it, your question more perplexing, or more, more um, difficult, and that is that if something is not derogatory, but it's harmful in any way, physically, even monetarily, that will be prohibited as well, even if it's, even if it's objectively, not, objectively not derogatory. So if you're going to say information that's going to jeopardize someone's livelihood, that would be Lashon Hara, irrespective of whether or not it's derogatory or not. So if you could say someone, oh, this person doesn't, type, they, they can't type 60 minutes, 60 words a minute. Or they can't, they, oh, this person cannot type 100 words a minute. Well, I don't think it's necessarily derogatory, but it could jeopardize someone's job. But if he They'll does be hired. that job and he can't do it, you know, that's not, the person that, who's paying, that's not, that's, that's, out, that's, not so. that's not your job to worry about them. It means let them do their due diligence. You know, you no, don't have like, to tell no them that. What, no matter what you're going to do, no matter what you're going to do, someone is going to lose money. No, not necessarily. Because if you can't do that, no, job, no, no. If that person wants to know how fast they type, bring them a computer and put a shot clock and let them figure it out. Right? But you shouldn't say that the person could barely type 55 words a, a, a minute or 55 words an hour. You know, you're doing something which is not necessarily bad. I don't think it's bad to not type fast. Some people don't type at all, right? You know, you have the two finger. I don't think it's bad, but it's going to they they potentially to lose money from it, and that is lashon hara, irrespective of whether or not it's derogatory. So your your case of case of HR, if someone calls up calls up from you know they want to hire this person, they wonder what you think about him. So you think he's a terrible guy and he's incompetent. Uh, All I say is he he worked there. I, right. You, you're that's right. It's not right. 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 Yeah, but if, why, why can't you say good things? Why can't you say good things? No, I mean, if you say well, good things, nobody will say anything. Huh? The law is intended to prevent the bad thing. Oh, because if you but don't say any good things, then it's clearly bad. They can sue you that they couldn't find a job because of you, hmm. so companies don't give that okay. information anymore. But either way, like, uh, you know, what about, you know... Um, but we reach all the time. I mean, letters of recommendations and stuff like that. That's in the academy. Bad and good things. But that's the person asking you to provide that letter. Yeah, right. that's different. That's different. I, I would hire an organization. Wait, if you ask me, I can't say? Yeah, it's... No. Oh, 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 oh. 
No, well, I'm not. He said, if you solicit, they would probably read the letter before they gave you it. You should say, I think you should ask somebody else. <laughs> if you don't do that, then that's your own doing. No, no, but that's not right. Uh, it depends whether you're asked to provide opinion or not. Why? Why should that change the law? That's that's what I'm saying. No, yeah. no prompted. No, even if you're if prompted to speak to someone, you can't speak to someone. Just like if you're prompted, someone asks you to murder someone. Well, you asked me yes. nicely. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't change. Why would that change anything? What I'm saying is, wait, let's say. Huh? He paid in I was employed by in full. Okay. In fifties and twenties. And I, I did a fairly good job. Unmarked. <laughs> but it was a temp position. So I go on to my next job. They can call you and you can't say anything to them. But if I came to you and I was like, hey, can I have a reference? You could say reference. no if you want. Well, yeah, he could say no as Just well. Just he's not speaking with Sean Rock. But yeah, he would give me the reference. It would be given to I me, guess. and then I would give it to my company. I guess his question is, if he gave a reference to Mary, right, or to the employer, whoever, he would only have to say good things. If he said, like, oh, well, yeah, the she's is, this, but she, you know, she needs Well, you, I don't know if you would want to do that. Anyhow, to write something in the letter that... In the reference letter, yeah, because you I wouldn't write anything there anyhow, right? There's a trick of. because you may be closer to the person you're writing the letter to than the, the one that you're recommending. Right. So, a student that works for something, I barely know him. He asked me, and then he asked me to recommend to a person that I collaborate and work together. So, I, I don't want to lie to this person. You don't have to He's lie. You don't have to lie. Just don't say the show around. Simple. Right. Yeah. Well, but so even if it's true, I can harm this prospect. Only if it's true. Okay. Only if it's true is is it is it the show around. This is an important thing. Only if it is. Only if it is true is the show around. If it's not true, it's something else. Okay. The show around means some information that's true, that's either negative or harmful to the person to the subject. You cannot convey to a third person. So what would Diego do next? I think what Diego would probably do, he would find something positive to say and write something that's positive. And that person will know that if you're not being so overly effusive about the guy, okay, then he is what he is. you know. But it's positive. It's not negative. That's the code for it. Just keep it abundantly short. And that's like... He's a great guy. The person will come and say, he dresses well. You gave me the worst student that you have. That's harmful for the other person. Or say, I don't write letters of recommendation. That's the way right. I mean, that, that would be that would be avoiding the entire situation. That's the one way to do it. That's 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 an, that, that's that's a good solution. Either way, it's, it's lashon And another important point is that lashon it means any form of communication. Does means it's most common is obviously verbal communication. But if you write lashon it's lashon If you do an eye roll, like oh man, you know, like that kind of thing, or you like motion with your eyes to someone about a third party, you know, like oh him again, you know, like that kind of thing. Well, that's a shonara as well, even though there's no there's no tongue being used to create sounds. What if you're making it, like in this situation, you're making it really obvious that there's nothing really good to say about this person? Like, are they, are they technically adept at this position? And you'd say, well, he makes good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so you're implying a shonara. You're implying that right. you say, that, that's, all I, that's all I can yeah, find to say. Nice about this working when he shows up. <laughs> 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 oh, I like the guy better when he's not drunk. <laughs> uh, th- these are these are tough questions, you know. Now I want to make an important point here. Um, a few more important points here. That if a subject, if you speak some, that person could be dead and it could still be lashon hara. There's no statute of limitations with lashon hara. Like, oh, they're dead. <laughs> like uh, after, it's their wake. I think that's worse. Yeah. Now, what about the guy says? 
uh, the, the subject says, listen, I know I'm a, I know I'm a, I'm a lazy good-for-nothing, but you could tell anyone, so I'm okay with it. So he allows me. Lashon Ara. Lashon Ara. Why is this Lashon Ara? Because you're using your mouth, which is your humanity, for speaking evil. Irrespective of whether or not the person allows you. He allows you to do something bad. Are you going to do bad? No. Initially, if it's common knowledge, I think it's common knowledge. Everyone knows about it. Oh, it was in the front page of the newspaper. Everyone knows about it. So what? It's Lashon Ara. It's not so much about, about the information, it's about the activity of using your mouth for evil. That is the Shonara. That's, that's prohibited. But it, that, that's exciting because it's to use it for evil. Because let's say that I have an employee that comes to me and says, hey, I want to receive your, your you know, constructive criticism. Tell me what you think about this. That will be not for evil. Well, that's, but, but then you're talking to them as well. To them, you could give them a, that's not the Shonara anyhow. Yes. You're talking about them to a third party. That's what will be Lashon Hara. Talking to them, just give it to them over the head. So Why not? not <laughs> Even if it's not constructive, it's not Lashon Hara. Mm-hmm. Well, there might be other things. Well, you I mean, might be, you know, there might be bad midot. It might not be chesed, but it's not Lashon Hara. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, constructive, I think we'll talk about constructive in a little bit. Uh, but, um, because like we said, if, you, if, you, if Lashon Hara means it's bad, if it's not bad, if it's constructive, then it's, it could be a mitzvah. But the point I'm trying to say is that, let's just give an easy example. I have two friends, they're both accountants. One gives me a call, says, uh, I know you have another friend. He applied for a job at my firm. What do you think about him as an accountant? Now, I personally know that the person applying for the job is a horrible accountant. I'm friends with him. I'm friends with uh, the firm owner. So if I say, well, he's a good employee, if I say good things, then he's going to hire him, and then this guy's going to lose money. If I say because he's going to mess up the books and he will lose money and get lost or whatever. Yeah. So if here, I so say here, bad, I think, no, he's a bad accountant. Okay. So this, this, this is a better example. I think this is a better example. I think he, here, here case. might be an example of, of, of for constructive purpose. This is, this is a good example, um, wherein you're obviously not meaning anything bad to your friend who is the bad accountant. On one hand, other hand, other hand, is it is it is it it's it's important that it, is it is it first hand information? First hand. It means if it's just like hearsay, well then you can't say Lashon Hara regardless, no matter how constructive. You have no idea. If you read them in a newspaper, I don't. Know, have you guys ever been interviewed for a newspaper story or a magazine story? I don't know, in college or whatever, right? You have. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's happened to me a few times. That whatever, like they ask for comments or whatever, and then you read it and it's totally different, no, entirely yeah. different. Yeah. Has that happened to anyone here? Yes. Yes. Everyone's nodding. Has that not happened to anyone here? Yes. So, like, to me, like, this was eye-opening when this happened. I'm like, who knows if everything else that you read there is also baloney? Because it's, you know... Most of it is. Most of it is. Mm-hmm. So, like, and we believe things read the newspaper because we just assume it was written. You know, it must have been vetted, due diligence, all that, journalistic integrity. Yeah. None of that. It's all nonsense. If you, if you do not know firsthand I'm about... i firsthand. Yes, yeah, so let's, let's assume you do know firsthand. You know firsthand... You don't speak negatively. You not. You don't do it out of malice, right? And you don't say more than you need to. This is an important point. Even if you date, say them for constructive purpose, you could always pile it on. Bad account. Bad breath. You could do that. You know that's not necessary. Or you, you know, just say. Or if it was my company, I wouldn't hire that person. Or you say enough. Listen, you know, you just say like. I'm not sure that he's the best fit, something like that. 
that will be enough to say, oh, okay, you don't have to just say, well, and he did my taxes, and he got the IRS, came down to my house, and it's really bad, and, and it's, ooh, and, and, and he just can't do basic mathematics, and I remember him in sixth grade. He, he, to him, he, he thought he got the nine of the six minutes stuff all the time. You know, you don't have to do that. You have to pile it on. So it has to be constructive. It has to be not out of malice. It has to be that, uh, that it's not more than necessary. It has to be first-hand information. There's a whole list. I don't remember. The, I think it's like seven, eight conditions that need to be met, provided it's constructive for it to be permitted. But this might be an example. But in the boss here, are pretty fussy, right? This is everything. No, it's very clear. It's very clear. What's, what's when it's well, you just suggested. Well, you can say that. No, I'm saying to say work. not enough. To say enough that's necessary. How do, how do you quantify that? It means you have to do a calculation of what do I need to say that's the minimum in order for me to accomplish my constructive goal. So I have a goal that I want, I want to do, but I don't want to be Lashon Ara. Anything that's more than what's constructive is Lashon Ara. Thus, Lashon Ara is waived vis a vis the constructive element of the conversation. However, anything that goes beyond the constructive element of the conversation, which is anything beyond what I need to achieve my constructive purpose, that would be still Lashon Ara, because that's for that Lashon is not waived. Okay, so if I just pile it on, I say more than necessary, I spot Lashon Ara. But this is, I mean, Another example, against, by the way. I'm not against laws that are flexible, but you give the same situation to 10 people, and five will say one thing, the other five will say the other thing. Which, a, a which situation? Which situation? Ben's situation. No, your job. What is enough, you ask? Your job is to do that calculation. You're going to have to do have to judge everybody in the world? No, not to judge everyone, anyone in the world. You have to judge the situation and say, okay, I need to do something constructive here. However, if I say anything more than what's constructive, I'm speaking Lashon Ara. So how much is enough that's constructive to achieve the constructive goal, but not any bit more? That's what you have to do. So you have to think about it. Stop and think, okay, there's something constructive. I don't want my, my other friend to hire this, this bad employee. Okay, that's the constructive goal. However, I don't want to speak Lashon Ara more than necessary. Right? Because anything yeah, that's more than necessary for the constructive purpose is trying to rock. Okay, so what do I do? Well, I say enough that he won't hire him. So what's enough that he won't hire him? Just that if I'm not effusive, if I have a little bit of a, you know, well, I just say, well, and then he probably won't hire him anyhow, right? Mm-hmm. Just the tone of the voice. Well, you know, just, that's all you need to say. Hang up. So it's a mutual <laughs> responsibility of whoever is talking and whoever is listening should know. So, well, okay, you said enough. Maybe that I guess ideally you, you don't you can't you don't know that person is 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 familiar with the subtleties of Lashon of Lashon Yeah, you say, would just say well, and they're like, okay, got it. Can't be on every conversation. Do you know the laws? If you don't, let me tell you some reading material before we. Let me flash in my rabbit. Common code along that, you know, like hey, hey, someone asked me to pass the resume along. That's all you say? Yeah. They know exactly what that means. They know what it means. It's a code word. Um, you were saying. Hang on. It's like, okay. crap, I just gave someone my resume. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have five right. years of city until I'm divested, so. Oh, um. Okay. So, like, names are out and references to people who would know are out. Let's say you were venting, and you were like, "This person did this." So, this, and this. so, so, so the, so like, the question is: some, Is that constructive? Like, so, if someone is actually in any form of danger, emotional danger or physical danger, God forbid, that's constructive for sure. Okay. Um, emotional danger as well. Like if someone is really, you know, really needs to vent, it might be constructive to just listen to them. 
And sometimes they want to vent and they want to give names and addresses and all that, right? The way the full, you know, that might be an example where that would be allowed. Um, just to like, if you don't mention them. And yeah, that would be person, ideal, of course. Ideally, you're about to. no clue who you're talking yes, about. This person, or like, call them say, Susan, some whatever. Of my cousins, you know, they live up north, and I have no idea who the people they hang out with are. Right. But if they vent. Yeah, just don't tell me names and die. tell me everything else. Uh, but very importantly, um, okay. I wanted to mention this. A few, two, two more things I wanted to mention here um, is that you cannot speak literally to family or spouses. There's nothing that says that that should be waived. And it's a big deal because, like, n- naturally, innately, we have a tendency to, when bad things happen, to want to vent about it. But when someone does something really nice in the office, well, we don't want to vent about that, you know? Someone brings cookies, and I was like, you know, let me, oh, tell my spouse about that. You know, we don't, we don't do that. But if someone makes a slight at us, then we do, we do make a big deal out of it. So we have a tendency, naturally, to try to uh, aggrandize the bad things that happen to us and minimize the good things that happen to us. And obviously, we want to talk about that with the people that we're closest to. Uh, and there's a grave danger because it could be very well that the content of the conversation between us and our spouses is going to be primarily no shown around. That's that's very not desirous, and there's no there's nowhere in the laws of Shonarat that says anywhere where the, where there, where these rules will apply differently if the two members of the conversation happen to be married to each other. Uh, additionally, there's all uh, another interesting thing that we find also in the Torah that speaking Shonarat against the land of Israel is also prohibited, just the land of Israel, as we see the spies uh, in the story of uh, we read a few weeks ago. Spies go and they speak Lashon about the land of Israel. The land of Israel itself is a united to speak Lashon about it as well. Now, um, when is it okay to speak? You said uh, earlier that you can ridicule, ridicule, yes, and acknowledge. What did you say? Yes, in fact. But then you said earlier that it's worse. Uh, gossip is worse than murder and idolatry. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so idolatry. Uh, it's uh, kind of idol- right. So no, it's not. It's not really conflicting because speaking lashon hara about idolatry uh, is a mitzvah. So when lashon hara is a sin, then it's a sin that, according to Maimonides, is equal or worse than lashon than avodazara. However, speaking um, about lashon about evil people, that could be even a mitzvah. That's not prohibited. Um, well, not does evil. So the question is, what's how evil do you have to be to be considered um, someone who lies to people? About? So, for example, idolatry. That we know there's a famous uh, Talmudic statement about this that says that you're not allowed to speak late sanusa. Late sanusa, you can't make fun of anything in the world besides for idolatry. There's a mitzvah to make fun of it. Right. So the fact that. But you consider like Christianity. Oh, I'm not, I don't consider it. It is by the Jewish definition. Um, it is. It's a lot closer than ancient. I, 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 of course, how else would you define it? They're worshiping an egg or ice cubes or whatever they call it. Cows. What? The, the Trinity thing. They explain it like, like an egg or water. Anyway, it's one. Okay, I never heard No, but it's, it's, it's clearly considered. Eggs come from, I remember my mom is ready to determine this years, like 900 years ago. That, I, that a Christianity would fall under the category of idolatry by Jewish definitions. And that being said, it's not quite the idolatry of yesteryear, you know, but it is sort of, sort of the idea of a God incarnate, well, a physical, mix. but it, it, it is idolatry uh, uh, by the, our definition. So that's, you know, you ever, if you ever heard the name that uh, the Jewish people have uh, labeled uh, uh, J.C., 
Um, have you heard the term Yashka Pundrik? Have you heard of that ever? You've heard that? Like, that's the name that he's called colloquially in Judaism. And that's like a little, little punk. It sounds like a punk, <laughs> right? Yashka Pundrik, you know? Because there's, there's a mitzvah to make fun of idolatry. It's a mitzvah. Um, so that would be allowed. And similarly, you know, like I said, Hitler, go ahead. Now, that being said, what if someone is uh, someone's a sinner, but not a malicious sinner, not a deliberate sinner? Someone is a, most people today are not deliberate, defined, you know, spiteful sinners. Most people are just sinners because they like cheeseburgers, you know, and Jews, you know, even non-Jews. We don't speak negatively about non-Jews, just, you know, we don't do that. Um, that being said, I, the prohibition for non-Jews would certainly, I don't, I don't know if there will be a prohibition against speaking that, I don't know, it's a good question. But even, let's talk about Jews for a second here. Um, for Jews, even if someone is a, does every sin in the Torah, they wouldn't be considered someone like the Roshonara against, unless they are deliberate, defiant, malicious sinners. Um, even then, there's no mitzvah to speak Roshonara about them. They're not quite, they're not quite, it's not, it's not quite a mitzvah. You might be allowed to, but even then, it's very hard to find people today. Uh, most Jews today are either uh, they're either involved or they've checked out a few generations ago. But we don't have people that are knowledge knowledgeable Jews who are, you know, people that understand Judaism yet are spitefully opposed to Judaism. We don't find that that existed in abundance a hundred years ago. We had a lot, a lot of Jews 100 years ago that were like that. Today, not so much. Most people today are considered either Tino Chinishpa, um, which means a child that was taken captive, someone who's not responsible for what they, you know, they knew, never knew any better, uh, or a Mumor Lahachis, someone who is a, uh, a heretic, uh, not Lahachis, Mumor Lateavon, uh, someone who's a heretic who doesn't believe, was not involved, but not because of any spitefulness or evilness or anything like that. But, but the, the category of someone that you're like to is called a mumer lahaches, which means someone who is a heretic or a heathen, lahaches, which means to anger, to anger God. If someone is like, I want to anger God, that's the guy you like to speak Lashon about. We don't have such people, really, uh, nowadays. Uh, and we said, even if you're technically allowed to speak Lashon about on Jews, it's not so clear, but even if that were to be so, it doesn't <laughs> a positive thing. You know, it's not something that you want to regulate yourself to do. Um, so you shouldn't do that regardless. Um, a few interesting uh, things before we wrap up here. Um, what about, about a product, you know? Hey, uh, how's this uh, new pizza store in town? Or, uh, you know, do you like uh, this kind of, uh, I don't know, matzah? <laughs> like, well, I don't know, I like the crunchier matzahs. <clears throat> okay, let me buy some other matzahs. How is that not harmful to the owner or the merchant? Or the manufacturer of that product. I know this is this is not an easy thing to like. Whoa, like that could be considered lashon hara. How's that not lashon hara? If it's harmful, bad reviews. Huh? One star right? How is that not har- how is that not harmful? I don't know. You tell me how that's not harmful. That could be. I mean, that that's scary. How exhaustive these laws could be. Is it um, I think it is. I think it is. I think it is harmful. But it's obviously it's something we have to get used to. We're not used to. Being so careful and weighing every word. Um, additionally, all the authorities will think that that is lashonara. I'm sorry. All the authorities. Well, like we said, this is lashonara. Yeah. So remember, but then, then you don't want the guy to go there and, and then and then eat the terrible food in the restaurant, throw up everywhere, and have a stomach virus. 
right? You don't want that either. So it's constructive. You'll say, well, there's a better pizza shop across the street. Maybe then, I don't know. Like, it's a good question. Like, you have to learn the laws. There's 187 days in that, a, a lesson a day book that I recommended. And I'm sure I would deal with this kind of question. Like, this is a good question. What do you do? Do you let someone go buy the inferior product? Well, that's also negative. That's also damaging for them. So, well, what do you say? Is it, you know, then you're harming the merchant. I don't know. It's a very good question. My, my question is more, for example, for capital punishment kind of thing, right? The laws are very clear, right? If you pick two the, the bricks and there are two people, they have to see and it's yeah, exactly yeah. what you okay. to the law, right? The, the letter, what you have to do, and then you can kill them. But for these things, which are even worse than death, well, I, I won't say they're Which worse. Missing, I'm just saying, in some, yeah, for a habitual Lashon Ra speaker, but I I'm not going to say it's worse, but in some capacities, it is worse. The laws are. Well, it's 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 not, but you haven't read the book yet. Get back to me and read the book. Tell me if it's clear or not. So after I read the book, I know exactly for the yes. For the if you if, if you read the book, you should find the answers to every one of these questions, especially if you read the footnotes. Um, Especially if you read the footnotes. This, 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 this is the all discussed. You know, um, what about what about this? This is another thing that we wouldn't really think of it as Lashon Hara. What about if you praise someone? Give some effusive praise, all genuine. But you, no, you know, it's genuine, all genuine. You know, you're not flattering, right? All genuine, all true. However, you do it in the presence of his. Uh, competitor, his business competitor, his adversary. And you know that if I say something good about this guy, the other guy is going to erupt and say something, well, you know what he did to me, right? You know, oh, he doesn't use, uh, you know, he doesn't do his business with integrity. You know that's going to happen. Speaking praise could potentially be a shonara. We wouldn't think about that. If you speak praise about someone and you know that the Audience is going to turn this into a session of Lashon Ra that you essentially brought about the Lashon Ra. So you, it's as if you brought Lashon Ra. That's bad speech. Even though it's actually good speech, but it's, it's bad speech in this setting. Just... Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, no names. No names. Um, also, <laughs> that's the no names Um We know that the, the Chafetz Chaim, that the, the, the book that we mentioned earlier, was written by um, someone. Um, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Cohen, who was the probably undisputed leader of the Jewish community in the early part of the 20th century. It's Remarkable. Not the guy from the picture. Right, it's a different guy. Well, they just found a video right now. They found a video recently that, uh, of the Chavetz Chaim. He died in 1933 at the age of like 100. Uh, but he wrote the. He, his, he was That's named. <laughs> he was face. named after. His name, the, he assumed the name of his book. His name is Rabbi Israel Meir Cohen. His last name is Kagan. Um, now, he, he wrote many, 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 many very essential books uh, for every Jewish library. One of them, the first one is called Chafetz Chaim. Another is called Shmirat HaLashon, the guarding of the, of the tongue. Um, so he was someone who was meticulous in Lazar Shonara, very meticulous. In fact, there was a great story about him. He was once at a convent with a convention of rabbis. And he was very young at the time, and he had just written the book called the Chafetz Chaim, Laws of Lashon Hara. And the rabbis were like, who is this guy? Let's, let's start talking Lashon Hara amongst us, see what happens. Let's see what happens to this new young gunner, yeah. And uh, they saw Lashon Hara, and they look at him, and they see that he's, he just fell asleep on the spot. He was just sleeping. He didn't hear it. That's the story. Uh, I don't know if it's a legend or not. Um, 
but he was someone who was very um, conversational. He was very warm and friendly and ebullient and um, gregarious, but he wouldn't speak Lashon Hara. Apparently there's other things out there besides Lashon Hara. There's other, there's other content of uh, conversations that we could potentially have. I think it's shocking, I know. Mind-blowing. But it does exist. And you just have to, you know, purge ourselves of speaking Lashon Hara, and then we can, there's other things out there, you know, and it's remarkable. It's, sometimes it's surprising how, how many, like this is a very interesting and diverse world. There's a lot of things going on, you know. Like Bitcoin, I want to talk to you about Bitcoin. You know Bitcoin? No about it. You're not, and you're like to have not. Okay, no one I can talk to about Bitcoin. I'm like, today I had a question about Bitcoin. I'm like, who could I talk to? Okay, apparently no one here. I hope not. Oh, is that right? He's a Bitcoin enthusiast? He's, uh, Who's that? Jim. Yeah. Could you bring him here? I want to talk to the Jim. He's out of town. Okay. Um, so, like that, like you could have conversations that not, don't involve other people. And, you know, I think it's a good policy to not talk about other people anyhow. Like, why, why do you always talk about other people? You know, if you meet someone, talk to, you know, you talk about other people. Like, there's other things to talk about. Um, lastly, what about you actually spoke Lashon Ra? You did it. How do you repent? Well, of course, that, that you will change your behavior. That's the person. Do you have to ask the person or not? So what would happen if you would ask the person? Would be mad at you initially because you spoke behind their back. You said, what about me to who? So this is a little bit of a problem because we know typically that when you do something bad against your fellow, you have to appease your fellow and ask forgiveness from him. You can't just go straight to God and say, oh God, forgive me for my sin that I did stealing from my neighbor. You can't do that. You have to go to the person themselves. Yet over here, you go to the person themselves, they're going to be very offended and it'll, it'll cause even more discord between you and them. And what good is your repentance if all you did was, was just... was Yeah, you just causing... You're fermenting more hatred amongst, amongst the Jewish people. Is that, is that what the... You know, so the Chafetz Chaim writes that you should not go... Uh, this is a matter of controversy. Um, but the Chafetz Chaim writes that you should not go and ask the person forgiveness unless you actually cause them harm. So if you cause them monetary harm then you might have to actually pay the money because it's harm that you caused them. That would be a different case. But most cases where there's no actual harm done, then don't approach them and just do tshuva like you do any sympathy man in God. You, don't, you, know, you confess to God and you don't have to involve, you don't have to involve that person uh, at all. So that's that. I think... Um, well, the person that heard it. The person that heard it, he has to do his tshuva as well. But you don't go back to that person. And say, well, if it's not true, if it's not true, you want you then then you better go over to that person and correct the, the information. So, I have a question. I guess this goes go back ahead. to the previous thing we were talking about. So, what happens if you like try to make it positive, if you will? Try to spin it. No, like like someone says, oh, this person did this, this, and this, and like you know, you can't really avoid the first because he will come to you and be like, you know. When people are mad and they want to vent, they'll yeah they'll be there, and you're like, yes, but remember when he did this, this, and this. We're trying to give them the benefit and of the try, doubt. Yeah. Yeah, the benefit of the doubt would, would it's a very good skill to have because that you'll you'll be able to try to think of maybe why they maybe they behaved in in such a manner because of something else that was bothering them. You could kind of justify their behavior. But you would still have to listen in order to respond. Well, if someone comes over to you 
Yeah. Paint the scenario. Someone comes to you and starts talking about it on the third party. Yeah. Can okay. you interject and say, no, wait a minute. What you're saying might be true, but here's the reason why they might have done it. Or, and or, or it maybe and you say, you could say listen, uh, you could change the conversation deftly. Um, or um, you, that's, you have to be aware. Like You have to be ready to, to, to try to stop yourself, you know? I think it's but if, but if you're convincing them of a different perspective, then maybe you're stopping them from continuing that. Right. So right. So that 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 will be a good thing. But I think it's even better to not to not hear it. Well, it's a question. Like, should you listen to? It's like should should we sin with the benefit with the potential maybe trying to rectify it by saying, uh, let me hear, let me hear, let me hear, let me hear. Uh, well, maybe this. You know, <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it's probably better to just to try to. And most people. Most people don't even realize that they're speaking negatively about other people. Like that, that, that's, and, and I think if you, typically if you demonstrate that this is something that you're not interested in hearing because you don't hear bad about other people, then they come to their senses and they say, oh, maybe I don't want to say this anyhow. You know, people aren't so necessarily you- insistent on saying something. If they're insistent, they may be pivoting over to the, uh, to the realm of constructive Lashona Ra because if they're so insistent about telling you this, then maybe it really is so important that it's constructive. Yeah, well, that's yeah. They come to you and this guy's a jerk. He did this. He did that. Well, you don't know all the circumstances. Well, is he really a jerk, or is or is it justified? Yeah, it, you know, you, you ask him in the elevator, you say hello to him, and he didn't say nothing. You just kept walking. He kind of shrugged his shoulders at you. Yeah. Well, what a jerk. He didn't say hi to me. I said hi to him. He's a, you know, he's a jerk. Well, what what was going on previous to that? Did his wife just call him and tell him, you know, the dog died, his cat died? I mean, what, what's going on? I think he would, probably, he would probably be delighted. So you have no idea what's happening. So you made an assumption. That's right. That's, that, that's a very healthy perspective of, of judging, for, judging favorably. I think that would help a lot. So you think it's better to, to stay in the conversation and say that? No, I think it's probably better to, to stay out of the conversation and use these. No, no, no. Uh, like if the conversation comes to you. Try to stop the conversation. Because that, yeah. might, that might help them realize that it's not Shana Ra in the first place without having yeah, there's to Yeah, there's also a way of, 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 you know, of, of having like a... This, that means you don't have to say, well, I don't want to hear what you have to say to Shana Ra. Like that's kind of also, it's, you know, it's yeah, a little arrogant yeah, as well. Like but there's the like, I think our society has kind of perfected the ability of, of, of disinterest, you know, of displaying disinterest. You know, where you kind of get like, you get like fuzzy eye to pull out your phone. You know, like, oh, yeah, sure, tell me more. And, you know, they're like, ah, you know, like, we're very good at that. Hey, I'm you know? <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, it could be a little smooth about it. Uh, but either way, I think that if we do this, and if everyone accepts upon themselves to try to be a little bit more vigilant in this one area of our lives, uh, it could be indeed transformative. Uh, it could be something, we, like you said, it's, it's something so essential to who we are as humans and as Jews, most certainly. Um, additionally, I think you know we have a member of our community, Elazar Ben Chana, or Lazar. Laser. 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 Laser is usually a shortening, uh, a nickname for Elazar. Whatever. This individual uh, who needs refuah lema, and and nothing. I don't say nothing, but almost nothing is as powerful as Torah study, especially if that is coupled with study with the intention of fulfillment. We know that someone who studies uh, with the intention of actually applying it, then they'll end, they'll end up studying, learning and studying and teaching and being 
fulfilled. They're about to do it, about to do it all. That's closing the loop, so to speak, of the spiritual achievement of, of study. It's not just a study. Oh, you know, you could study, like we mentioned, did we mention this? About the people, oh, we did mention last week about the people in, in South Korea that study You know, we don't want to be South Koreans studying Talmud to try to sharpen our minds. That's not what we want to do. We want to be studying Torah to have it make us better people. So how does it make us better people? You know, so we could study it for the intellectual analysis, and that's great. But if we leave it there, then how are we any different? You know, we're kind of using the Torah for our own, our own wishes. You know, and the, it's an example. This might be a little jarring to hear, but the, uh, the uh, Talmud says that someone studies Torah only periodically. Wednesday. No, I don't want to say every Wednesday. No, but no, but you know, when when you're in the mood of it, you know, um, then it's I don't know the exact words, but it's as if he's he's treating the Torah like a prostitute. I said it's jarring. I worry. I give you the disclaimer beforehand. Uh, now, what does that mean? You just sign up for coming every day. This like. Now, what is that? What does that mean? Now, we know that the Torah is very often compared to a spouse. We mentioned this in the first of the, of the, of the three-part series on Torah. Why we study Torah is compared to a spouse. Because it's, it's going to bring someone to completion. Like we said, it's not good for a man to be without a spouse. It's not good for a man to be without Torah. You want to become, reach completion, you, got, you, know, you, you do it with, with Torah. Well, what if someone says, you know what, when I'm in the mood... I come in, and then when I'm done, I'm the mood, I'm, I'm, I check out. Well, what, what kind of relationship is that? You know, that sounds very much like a relationship that a man would have with a prostitute. That's what it is, right? You know, well, what if we say we want to study Torah, but we, don't want, to, we, we want this but not that? How is that an indictment on our relationship that we have with Torah? It's something that's a terrible indictment. We say we want to study Torah, but we don't want to do any of the mitzvahs. We want to actually listen to the Torah. Well, what, what, what kind of relationship is that? It's also not, not a perfect relationship. So... I think it's important for us generally, but specifically in something which is so action-oriented like the discussion we have tonight. It's important for us to not let the Torah be relegated to Wednesday nights when we study it or whenever you're studying, but to actually have it perpetuate in the form of our behavior. And especially something like this, which is conversations. You know, we humans talk for like, what, six hours a day or something like that? Something like that. We're very uh, verbose Right? That's what we do. We're, we're conversational animals. Uh, and it's something that we could potentially encounter every day of our lives. I would say not potentially, we probably do encounter it every day, every day of our lives. And it's also something which is very, I think it's very easily uh, fixed. It's not so hard. It might seem daunting if you like, if you actually did like an analysis of, if you had a recording device that recorded your conversations for the entire day and then you listened to it and you say, Cut out the pieces, the parts that are shonara, and then you would like have a whoa, thirty-eight percent of my conversations they were shonara. That you know, but it's a switch. It's a certain switch where you, you know, when you regulate yourself to not talk shonara, and that's it. And once you turn the switch on, then it's on. It's it's very easy to become habit forming. So I think it's important. So I encourage everyone to to take this a step further. Okay. Um, there was this thing. What's this? An HR trick? You put ten ten. Quarters or dimes in your pocket. When you say something bad, you put it in your left, and if you say something good, you put it in your right. So at the end of the day, you see where you have your, your coins. 
you know, that, that creates a certain awareness, a certain awareness for behavior. But the best kind of awareness is where you have constant uh, touch point with study. So I encourage everyone to get this lesson a day. I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful book. Um, get it, read it, and you'll see marked, marked imp improvement very, very fast. That's that, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for being here. This is wonderful, lovely. Thank you again, Diego and Vanessa Aron, the Yudit, uh, for opening our home, uh, your home, not our home, sorry. I'm, I'm taking your, like, you'll be here every day too seriously. Uh, and we'll see y'all next week, but I'm not going to be here next week, so we'll have to talk about plans. Anyhow. You're not going to be here next week? We'll talk. We'll talk. I'm labor everyone with my summer plans. I have to find a location, too, next week, which may be at Joe's. Well, we have another member, Lenny, who can't get okay. out much. <laughs>